joining us all the way from the West Coast, where it's late night, um, one of our favorite writers, uh, New York Times bestselling author Jeff Perman, uh, author of a new book, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. Uh, welcome, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you. What time is it where you are? Um, it's a little after 7 a.m. in the morning. So. I think it's more impressive that you're up at 7 than it is that I'm up at 11 at night. I think you win that. Yeah, it's always a tricky one with West Coast guests. Uh, you know, we, we either have to sort of catch you early in the morning or, uh, yeah, or early in the morning for us. So, uh, But no, it's great to have you on. Um, I can't imagine how busy you are right now with a, a new book about to drop. I mean, I don't know what it's like over there, but we're just about heading for a second lockdown with this corona thing. So um, I'm guessing you're not getting out and about promoting like uh, you usually would be with a new book out. No, it's, it's 100% online. So... Uh... I'd say in the last, I mean, the book doesn't come out till Tuesday, but I'd say in the last four days, I've probably done, I don't know, 35, 40 interviews. It's been a lot, but that's good. If people are interested, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You probably wouldn't normally end up on a niche UK basketball podcast, I'm guessing, uh, to promote this. No, one, no, 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 no. That's not true. That's not true. I am, um, I am always, I'm telling you, one thing I am, I am, I am always, if someone takes the time to want to ask me to do it, I always do it. I mean, I don't know. Why not? If someone is interested, why wouldn't you talk to them? So I'm not like that at all. I've never been like that. I, I'm always happy to talk. It's great to have you on. I'm guessing, obviously, you started this book when uh, sort of Kobe Bryant was still alive, and I believe you'd finished it by uh, by the time he passed. Um, and I imagine that's sort of thrown up a few sort of issues around sensitivity and sort of editing and stuff. Um, has that sort of change the book in any way or is it kind of you know you've kind of left as is um the only thing it changed is i added um an introduction sort of i just thought it was kind of important to explain that um you know like the kobe you're reading in this book is a you know a kind of person developing himself and it's from 96 to 04 the book when kobe was a young man and he wasn't 41 and he wasn't a dad of four and he wasn't a retired, you know, youth basketball coach. He was just a, a kid trying to figure his way. And I, I just thought it was important to remind people that when they're reading this book, that they should not take everything they're reading and assume that that's who Kobe was at the time of his death, because I think he changed a lot. So, um, also you don't want to get, you just don't want people to think you're trying to capitalize on someone's death. And, sure. you know, I wrote this book, died. I'm very sensitive to that. Like I, I, I'm not trying to make money off of Kobe Bryant's passing at all. That does not interest me. It's not why I wrote this book. I wrote it all before he died. Um, I would be horrified if it turned out that like my publishing company were marketing this book with the idea of taking advantage of a guy's death. That does not interest me at all. Sure. I'm sure your reputation kind of speaks to that as well. Um, yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, I, I was, I'm kind of of a certain age, 40 plus, so I, I kind of never really grew up a Kobe fan we were kind of more the Jordan era over here but um after reading uh, Roland Lazen's, Lazenby's book a few years ago um you can't I kind of came, came away sort of admiring his commitment to his craft but also you just you know you think the guy the guy's a bit of a dick but like you said you kind of have to remember where he was in his life I mean some of the things I did in my 20s were you know pretty terrible and regrettable and that you were dickish behavior so it's it's like you say it's it's important to remember how he was growing as a person and finding out who he was. And, he, you know, as you say, he wasn't the sort of father he was when he sadly passed, was he? No, I actually think it's interesting. Um, 
I feel like what people see in Kobe a lot of times uh, depends on their age. Like, yeah. I think when you're in your 20s and you look at 20-something-year-old Kobe Bryant, you see a determined, fiery, work his ass off, willing to do anything to succeed, hardcore, admirable superstar. And I think I'm in my 40s also. When you reach this age, sometimes you think of your own youthful ambitions and you see people with youthful ambitions and you think – man, that guy's really obnoxious and he's over the top and he doesn't respect elders. And like, it's almost like people look at Kobe based upon where they are in their lives sure. and see what they want to see. I'm kind of like that too. I mean, I look at this Kobe, the one I wrote about, and a lot of the times I was like, God, this guy is a pain in the ass. And man, why won't he listen more? And why is he so arrogant about things? And, you know, I guess he was just youth, you know, young youth does that to you. You haven't experienced much yet. So it's an interesting time period. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, he certainly had a unique upbringing as well, didn't he? Not your typical sort of American childhood and or teenage years by any stretch. Kind of, you know, growing up in Italy and not doing what normal kids do, I guess. And that that's going to affect your outlook, isn't it? And uh, your sort of your social circle and friends and whatnot, I guess. Yeah, he was not a smooth. I feel like a lot of times we look at athletes and um, we look at them, and you know, Kobe Bryant was a, a pretty good-looking guy, and he was in great shape. And he was the Laker and he was young and he'd be on the cover of magazines and he was like People Magazine's sexiest athlete and all that stuff, right? And we look at these guys and we think, wow, that is one cool guy. Like he is on top of it. That guy's so cool. And the truth of the matter is he was kind of, you know, again, he was raised in Italy. He was one of the only, you know, black kids around in Italy. He moves to suburb the suburbs of Philadelphia. So a very upscale, largely white you know, a lot of Mercedes and BMWs where he grew up. Um, and he was this special kid because he was this great basketball player and his dad had been an NBA player. He went to prom with the singer Brandy, who he'd never met before. It was all just a promotional thing. Hmm. Like, he never really had the chance to awkwardly learn how to drive or awkwardly ask out that girl and not know if she's going to go out with you or have the traditional stumbles. You know, like he was 17 yeah. years old getting a multi-million dollar studio from Adidas. Meanwhile, when I was 17, I was just trying to ask Michelle Sheehan to the senior prom, <laughs> you know, like he just didn't have that. So, but that stuff shows, you know, like you're supposed to go through these development stages in your life. And when you don't have them, sometimes it's pretty obvious. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what happened. Um, if he ended up uh, playing for the New Jersey Swamp Dragons, uh, <laughs> instead of sort of ending up in LA, um, how that would have kind of affected, um, sort of his rise and, and his personality yeah it came very close to happening i think um i was a nets fan i grew up a nets fan i think if he ended up going to the nets he would have been it's i mean there's no guarantees who knows but i could see him winding up like carmelo anthony or russell westbrook like a guy who scores a ton of points hmm. goes into the hall of fame but you know is just like this guy who shoots 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 and never passes the ball and people come to see him play and maybe he makes the playoffs a couple of times, but his team's eliminating the first round. Like him going to the Lakers was just a godsend. I mean, it's one of the most important moments of his life, you know? Yeah. So much sort of, it depends on situation and where you end up and where you're drafted, doesn't it? You know, um, there's, a, yeah. there's a lot of that. I don't think kind of people in the UK realized how big he was in the States until, um, until he passed away. I mean, obviously he, he was obviously, an international star and stuff, but it wasn't quite on the Michael mm -hmm. Jordan level over here. But um, I, I was just absolutely shocked by the, the kind of outpouring, especially from sort of the younger sort of generation of NBA players who obviously he was he was such a big sort of idol for them and that it was uh, it really 
kind of took us for shock over here. Um, just just the level of his stardom over there. It, uh, it really was an eye opener. You know, I, I got to say, I um, I don't think I, I I don't think I was aware of it either to this mm. degree. So, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in New York. I moved to Southern California about six years ago, and I think I always just thought of Kobe Bryant as one of the great players of his generation, you know, and a great basketball player and a hall of famer. But when you're out here, I'm the outpouring of, of his death. I think what he meant to people, I really do. And I think this is fair. I think what he meant to people is he was a guy who set a goal as a very, at a very young age that he wanted to be an all time great basketball player. He worked his ass off to do it. Like he really worked his ass off to do it. And he fought and he fought and he fought and he fought and he actually achieved it. Like he wanted to be Michael Jordan and he actually kind of became Michael Jordan. You know, that's insane. That's a ridiculous achievement. And I just yeah. think when he died, what people really took from him and from his life was this idea of, you know, you can have talent, but if you don't work hard, it's not going to do it. And here was a guy who really worked hard. And that's fair. That's yeah. actually accurate. You know? Do you think that's where a lot of the bad blood between him and sort of Shaquille O'Neal uh, came from? Obviously, Shaq, more of a happy-go-lucky character and didn't necessarily get himself in the best shape and stuff. But from some of the sort of books I've read, that, that seemed to be sort of one of the main sticking points um, of the sort of clash of personalities there, I guess. I think so. I think it was, um, number one, Shaq never improved on his free throws and that drove Kobe crazy. And he didn't really work that hard at it and that yeah. drove him crazy. And I also think... Um, I think Kobe had an idea of what you're supposed to do, what hard work work, work like, look like, and what dedication looked like. And, you know, when the offseason came, Kobe would be shooting his, whatever, 500 jumpers a day and doing his wind sprints, and Shaq would be floating in a pool with a cheeseburger and a cigar. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I really mean this, I've said this a lot promoting this book, but I strongly believe it. At the time... You know, Shaq would be criticized. He'd say, oh, he doesn't want it enough and his work. Why can't he be more like Kobe? And I just think, like, you're 27 years old. You're making millions of dollars. You're an NBA player. You play hard during the year. You win championships. Opponents beat the living crap out of you. Like, you should be floating in a pool with a cigar when the season ends. You know, like, yeah. people criticized that and said, oh, he doesn't work hard. Like, you're 27 years old. You're supposed to be enjoying it. This stuff is fleeting. It doesn't yeah. last very long. Yeah. And I really hate, I think it's it's a very lazy criticism for saying, people are saying he should have worked harder. He won four NBA championships. He's one of the 20 greatest players in the history of the league. And he actually enjoyed it while he was doing yeah. it. It's hard for me to be very critical of Shaquille O'Neal. No, I think if you look back at it, he's probably underrated now. Um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. The centers aren't centers anymore. You know, there aren't guys yeah. like that. And... He was, people forget, like people actually do forget, Kobe had a better career than Shaq, but there's never a point in Kobe's career where he was absolutely unstoppable. No. Shaq was unstoppable. Shaq was unstoppable. Couldn't stop him. There's nothing you could do about it. Yeah. Um, do you go back and watch kind of um, a lot of NBA footage and old games and stuff in preparation for a book like this? Um, oh, yeah. A lot, which is fun, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been watching a, sort of, some of the old 2000. Iverson sort of v Lakers final series and some, stylistically it's it's pretty grim viewing at times compared to sort of the NBA nowadays is even, even with the triangle um it, it can be a hard watch <laughs> going back and watching some of these old games yeah the thing I like about the old game well 
I definitely like in the 80s and I guess in the 90s too. It was a more physical game, sure. which I enjoy. Yeah. I like seeing players beat the crap out of each other and not being so chummy. Um, I do think, and I also like a little less reliance on the three-pointer. Yeah. It's kind of fun. You know, like, and I enjoy watching Shaq down low. I thought Shaq down low was really entertaining and powerful. But um, I think I agree with you. I think overall the NBA now, it's a much sleeker game. And, you know, the up and down on the court. and the, I mean, when the... It's funny when the uh, when the Pistons and Lakers met in the NBA Finals in 2004. I'm actually typing this up because I want to see if I can get it. Oh yeah, this it's amazing. In the first game, the Lakers were held to 75 points. In the second game, they were held to 68. In third, 87. They scored 99 in a win, and then they were held to 80. Like that's ridiculous. That's insanely good defense mm. and insanely bad offense. And those could be really boring games to watch. Like that Finals it's a really bad finals because they're just really boring. And you, I don't think you'd see many games like that right now. Yeah. But you get more sort of personalities along with that, don't you? Because there's such hard defense being played and stuff, you know, your Charles Oakley's and Anthony Mason's of the world and stuff. And we, we run a YouTube channel where we host a lot of old games of that. And, and people absolutely love those old battles, you know, even though they are low scoring and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's just a different style and a different kind of sport almost, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, you know, what's funny is this is way off topic, but, um, I wrote a book about the Showtime Lakers of Magic and Cream, and um, you know Pat Riley was the coach of those teams. Uh, and then, so that was like run and gun. We're going to score 110 points a game. Magic at the point guard, you know James Worthy cutting down the lane. And then he goes to the Knicks in the 90s, and he has Ewing and Oakley and all those guys. And Pat Riley completely 100% changes his style of coaching, and he says we're just going to beat the crap out of other teams, and hopefully we'll score 85 and they'll score 82. It's one of the most impressive coaching feats I've ever seen to be able to adjust from one complete personnel philosophy to another uh, based entirely on the on your rosters. Yeah. A lot of coaches take their, they take their one philosophy and they no matter what, they're going to do it with the other team. And I don't know. I know it's way off the topic, but I always thought that was an amazing like for all Phil Jackson's greatness as a coach. It wasn't like he was drastically changing styles. He was running he's running uh, the triangle and running the same defense. Pat Riley completely switched up when he went from one team to the other. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, that seems to be more his roots as a coach, really, because these Miami teams were very similar. You know, they were kind of lunch yeah. pail, hardworking teams. Um, what made you sort of, you mentioned your previous book, Showtime, um, which I advise everyone to read, but what, what made you dip back into the lake as well, if you if you will, and, uh, and sort of write another book about the Lakers? Um, I think the main thing was, it wasn't, it wasn't the Lakers that drew me. It was the level of superstars and huge characters yeah. uh, I just I thought I mean there's Shaq there's Kobe there's Phil those are three huge huge NBA figures um, I don't live that far away from LA now um, so it's kind of an easy much easier reporting job and I just thought the book hasn't been done like a really yeah. good book on that era there have been books about Kobe books about Shaq it hasn't been a really great book about that era so I really wanted to dive into it Yeah, that's pretty much it yeah, and um, I mean, a lot of your previous books, there's been a lot of 80s excess, if if you want to call it, um, cocaine and women and um, a lot of that kind of thing. Obviously, this is a different era, um, although it's 20 years ago, it seems like two minutes ago to me. Um, is there is any sort of unintentional comedy we can look forward to <laughs> in this book, uh, sort of character-wise and stuff? I mean, you've got... So people like J.R. Ryder and Dennis Rodman fleeing oh, yeah. in on this team. Um, did you manage to speak to any of those guys for the book? Yeah, uh, J.R. 
I actually knocked on J.R. Ryder's door. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I drove to his house. I didn't have a phone number, so I just knocked on his door. And he was not happy to see me. Oh, really? said, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing here? And um, it's funny. Um, he was great. J.R. Ryder is one of the craziest. He shows up in the Lakers for 2000-2001 uh, season. He has a very bad reputation. He kind of lives up to it with the Lakers. There's one point he, they were on the road and he overslept and he was late to the arena and he asked the clerk at the hotel to write a note for him so that he could give to <laughs> Phil Jackson. So he shows up at the, at the arena with a note saying, Dear Coach Jackson, my name is whatever, Jim, and I work the front desk here at the Marriott and J.R. Ryder's alarm. We failed to wake him up. Sincerely, Jim. Another time, he missed a bunch of practices because he had a flat tire. So that was his excuse. But he only he only lived 300 yards from the practice facility, so that his excuse was a flat tire. But he, he literally could have walked there in two seconds. Then another time, they're in Toronto going through customs, and the the drug dog just starts barking and snarling at J.R. Ryder, and they actually pulled J.R. Ryder aside to check him for drugs, and he had no drugs on him, but he smoked so much pot that his tracksuit just ripped. <laughs> so so on it that the dog started attacking him. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. I think Dave Chappelle could do a sketch show just of sort of J.R. Ryder stories and stuff. Um, yeah. They're endless. There's a guy called Kerry Eggers. I don't know if you know Portland sports writer. wrote a book uh, on the jailblazers. Oh, and, uh, a great book. There's a, yeah, the story in there about him um, not getting the memo about daylight savings in the fall. And uh, he arrived at practice 20 minutes early. Uh, yeah. thinking he was late and uh, when he found out he was early he went home again and came back late <laughs> it's just fantastic it just awesome. kind of sums the dude he's, up. Uh, he's actually one of the great characters um i would say he's one of the great characters in the modern nba jr Ryder. when i when i remembered that he was on these teams i got really excited because i uh i love writing about people like him They're yeah my favorite guys to write about obviously you're a huge sports fan and nostalgia fan and stuff being a man of a certain age like myself do you do you get much time to watch sort of live sport nowadays do you find you you watch less i know i certainly do since having kids um kind of have to pick your spots and stuff i can't i can't sit and watch three hours of baseball like i you know i used to and stuff it's tough isn't it yeah um i watch almost none yeah believe it or not um yeah i watch almost none i every now and then i try to watch whatever a football game or a basketball game my kids aren't that into it. My wife's not that into it. Um, and I just kind of feel like there are other things to do. I don't know. You know, like you're a parent one time. Your kids are little for one time. Yeah. So I'm going to force them to watch some sporting event that they don't even want to watch. That doesn't really work. Yeah. I, make, so, I try, no. and make, try and make a little time for basketball, but my son has zero interest in watching live sports. So it's a, yeah, it's How like you say. Uh, he's eight. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of different than when we were kids, I guess. There's a lot more options and entertainment and consoles and whatnot. So it's... Um, yeah, I get it. I get it. My son's really into jerseys. He has a ton of jerseys. So we kind of bond over that. Like he likes the jerseys more than the games themselves. Hey, yo, check it out. This your man, Static, the Wild Cowboy. I'm here on Pick and Roll Podcast. We're talking about ball and beach. One last thing before I let you go, because it is late over there. Um, I saw on your uh, on your bio you're a, a big uh, fan of the group of Tri Call Quest. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Um, Very. Yeah. Without putting you on the spot, I know it's like trying to 
sort of pick a favorite child. What's your favorite Tribe album out of their sort of catalog? Oh, easily, easily the low end theory. Fantastic. Yeah, um, that's the correct answer. I mean, you know what the thing is? I'm the one guy. So I know everyone loves Midnight Marauders and there's this real sort of, you know, push that that's their best album. I hate the, uh, the interludes, the, the vocal skits, interludes. Yeah. It drives me crazy. I have no interest in it. I know that's bad, but I think uh, Loet, first concert I ever covered, for a while I was a music writer, first concert I ever covered in my life, was a tribe called Quest in Delaware way back, and I was hooked from the moment I heard them. They were just awesome. Yeah, I think Loet Theory was so perfectly executed as an album as well, from the design, the kind of choice of the singles, the videos were really kind of groundbreaking, and it just it's that just that bass throughout that album. It's just so warm and sort of dark and... Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm never tired of listening to that one. As great as the you also, know, other few albums are. Also, I think um, it's just like this weird fusion of hip-hop and jazz. Yeah, It's really interesting. I don't even like jazz, but the, the way they infuse it with jazz and all these cool sounds and when they bring in like Busta Rhymes for Scenario. and I mean, yeah, it's, it's great. It, they probably also do more, more sports name drops than any than any uh, hip hop group I've ever heard. There's a, there's a million uh, name drops in their songs, which kind of warms my heart. Yeah, Fife was never sort of afraid to give Scott Scales a shout out or random NBA characters like ah. that, which, uh, yeah. Well, the other day, uh, the other day, um, a baseball player here named Lou Brock, who's a Hall of Fame baseball player, died. Yeah, got the scorny, the got the scorny legs, but I move like Lou Brock. There you go. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Did you know yeah. who Lou Brock was? I did, yes. I, I followed baseballs or history and stuff as a kid. So, yeah, that, that always kind of made me chuckle on the Check the Rhyme, isn't it, the song? Yeah, and that's very funny because I um, – yeah, Check the Rhyme because I um, – when Lou Brock died, I mean, I covered baseball. I've interviewed Lou Brock, but the first thing I thought of was Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, I tweeted it out straight away. <laughs> it was uh, – yeah, that's the first thing I thought of. That's yeah, as a sort of kid yeah, growing up in England, obviously pre-internet access and stuff, it was weird how you you had to connect those dots, you know, through uh, sort of songs and stuff. So educational hip hop, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We can love track podcast. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Um, anything you can give away, or is it just having a break yeah. now? This book's out. I know you've got your podcast, um, Two Writers Slinging yeah. Yang, which is a great weekly listen for anyone. Uh, anything else coming Probably. up? Um, I have. I'm working on a new book. You know, it's just early on it, but I'm. It's a book about uh, Bo Jackson. Do you remember oh, Bo Jackson? Oh, fantastic. One of my favorite athletes of all time. You're spoiling oh, us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, so the next book. I mean, it's not due. It's not coming out for like another two years. Yeah. But it's, um, you know, so yeah, that's what I'm working on. It's yeah. Cool. Fantastic. I've been searching for a decent Bo Jackson book forever. Obviously, seemingly there isn't one, so um, that'll be perfect. He wrote his own autobiography years ago, and you know, yeah. he's so old. He was like 20. Nobody should write an autobiography when they're like 29 years old. No. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've got that somewhere. Uh, but oh, I look forward to that. Oh, thanks, man. Um, appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate you joining us at such a late hour. And um, when's the book out next week? Uh, it comes out Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. so in England, I'm sure it'll be available wherever you can buy books. I hope so. Yeah, hope so. well, good luck with it, Jeff. And um, yeah, thanks again for popping thanks on with us. And um, hopefully, we'll speak to you in a couple of years when the Bo Jackson book comes out. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for taking an interest. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, buddy. All right, have a good night. Cheers. Thanks, Jeff. Good night. Good morning. Good morning. The rhymes were so rumping that the brothers rolled the zap. Hey yo, Tim, do you recall when we used to rock? What? Those fly routines on your cousin's block? Um, let me see. Damn, 
I can't remember. I received the message and you will play the same. You're on point tip. All the time, Fife. You're on point tip. Yeah, all the time, Fife. You're on point tip. You're all the time, Fife. So play the resurrector yeah. and give the dead some life. Okay, if knowledge is the key, then just show me the lock. Got the scrawny legs, but I move just like Lou Brock with speed. I'm agile, plus I'm worth your while. 100% intelligent black child. My optic presentation sizzles the retina. How far must you go to gain respect? Um, well, it's kind of simple. Just remain your own or you'll be crazy, sad, and alone. Industry rules.